Good morning. It's good to see you. Um, there was this guy. I heard this story from Nikki Gumbel. And Nikki, if you read the Bible through the one year, the Bible through the Bible in a year app, there's an app. There's a reading plan. I, I, it's on you version. It's in, it's got its own app. He always opens his scripture reading for that day with a, a little story. This was one from about three years ago. It may be in it again. I don't know. But um, there's a story about this guy, and this was probably a couple hundred years ago, and he wanted to get someone to paint a portrait of him. Now, uh, when we think of portrait, think of ancient selfie, okay? It's a portrait of you, like from here to here, okay? And so he hires a successful artist to paint his portrait. And so the artist paints the portrait, and it's unveiled, and the guy is not happy with the results, and so someone asked him, so do you like it? And he goes, I don't think it does me justice. And the artist said, well, you don't need justice, you need mercy. <laughs> I would say, it's fair to say, this fella had some blind spots about his appearance. We all have blind spots. Jesus is going to talk about blind spots today. Matthew's going to highlight this in chapter 15 of Matthew. But he's not going to talk about physical and appearance blind spots. He's going to talk about spiritual blind spots. So how do you recognize these? This is the title of today's message. How do you recognize spiritual blind spots? Now, your question might be, do you mean in my life or in someone else? And I would say, yes, we're going to look at both. Jesus actually focuses on seeing blind spots in other people because that's the context and he's speaking. But it applies to both, and I think whether it's a resolution or just I'm resolving to be more willing to evaluate my life and let God point out the blind spots, I think it would be good for us to make sure that we're thinking about, do I have blind spots? When you're driving down the road and you're in a car that doesn't have um, computers that talk to you and cameras that show you everything, and maybe the tops down, we have blind spots, right? If you, especially if you're driving on the highway and you want to change lanes toward the right lane and you want to look back over this way, that's the worst one, right? It's usually part of the car that's there that kind of can shield a motorcycle or a small vehicle. And so sometimes we're not quite sure um, that the mirror caught that person or whatever. And so we want to make sure that we don't because there's consequences. When we don't pay attention to blind spots, there are consequences. That's especially true spiritually. Okay? So we're going to move now. We're going to be, I'm going to um, just, at the end of chapter 14 last week, we saw this. I want to just read this. Um, and, and then we'll jump into chapter 15, just to kind of give us a little more context. This is where we left off last week. It says, Matthew writes in 1434, when they had crossed over, who's they? Jesus and his disciples crossed over the Sea of Galilee, a portion of the Sea of Galilee to get from one place to another. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. I don't know if I'm saying that right or not, but whenever you're saying a word in the Bible that you're not sure what it means or how to say it, just say it quickly with confidence and move on. So Gennesaret, all right? Now, that's sometimes what the Sea of Galilee is called. Actually, sometimes it's called Lake Gennesaret. It's also a valley. So if you look at our map, our transplant map right here, uh, here's the Sea of Galilee. It's roughly an oval-shaped, egg-shaped body of water. To the northwest is the valley of Gennesaret, which is where they are. So it says, when they crossed over the sea, they landed at Gennesaret, and men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. That's what you do when you see or hear about good news. You share it. People brought all their sick to him, to Jesus, that is. They begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who were touched were healed. And if we were to review all of chapter 14, we would be reminded that he fed 5,000 men plus 
women and children with a, basically a happy meal. Okay, so that's a pretty big deal, right? I mean, what, what church wouldn't love to say, okay, we're having a potluck and Jesus is providing? I mean, that would be, it wouldn't be a problem on quantity for sure. And I imagine the, the quality would also be top shelf. Well, not only did he do that in chapter 14, as if that's not impressive enough, but he walks on water. Oh, by the way, anybody done that lately? Um, you know, not since Peter probably. Has anyone walked on water? Um, and so he, we're coming out of that. Oh, and it ends the chapter with he's walking through masses of people who believe that if they just touch the edge of his, of his dockers, he's gonna, they're going to be healed, and they do it, and people are healed like that. No bill, no insurance to haggle with. They just get healed. So this is the context in which we find these religious leaders approaching him and again trying to corner him and dis, um, dis, uh, just cause him to be disrespected, cause him to be considered you know, irrelevant. Verse 1, chapter 15, Matthew writes, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. So they're traveling a distance. Remember our map? Here's the Sea of Galilee. This is the region of uh, Galilee, the region, Samaria, the region, Judea, the region, okay? Judea is where you'll find Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Galilee is where you'll find Nazareth. Jesus is where he grew up, town, Samaria. That's where they all tried to avoid They're traveling from Jerusalem to the Valley of Gennesaret. So we're talking about a couple of days' travel. And he says, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked a question. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. All right, so when we talk about blind spots, how do you recognize blind spots? Jesus is going to give us in this passage three characteristics of people who have blind spots. One of them is we ask, we ask silly religious questions. Okay, there's good questions, and then there's questions that really miss the point. If you've been seeing and hearing about Jesus healing all kinds of diseases, from paralysis to deafness to blindness to raising people from the dead, If you've heard about somebody who's walked on water and fed thousands of people for nothing, you're not going to ask them, why aren't your disciples washing their hands before they eat? You're just not going to ask that question if you're thinking rightly about who is, I mean, you're going to ask, who are you? What are you doing here? What is your purpose? Can I follow you? Can I get in on this? Talk to me. You know, you would ask big questions, not why don't your guys wash their hands before they eat? Now, to be clear, they're not talking about hygiene here, okay? They're talking about a religious practice that the, that the, uh, the Old Testament scriptures actually teach, but not for everybody. And this is where we start to get into problems. So in the days of Jesus, they didn't have the New Testament, okay? So a third of our Bible didn't exist. The two-thirds of our Bible that do exist, what we call the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, that was what they considered their Scripture. So let's just imagine this table represents all of Scripture, all of the Scripture in Jesus' day. So this is the Old Testament, okay? God-breathed, profitable, and, uh, you know, for all of those things that, that... Paul writes when he writes to Timothy, profitable for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, okay? 
just as much God's word as the New Testament, okay? Contextually, not all of it is applicable to us today anymore because that's the old covenant and we have the new covenant, but the principles and foundations of what we believe are all found in the Old Testament, okay? So I'm certainly not discrediting this at all. This is scripture. It's God-breathed. It is holy, Okay. Now, what they did, and this would have happened in the days of the exile. So when Israel was a nation, they, they kept disobeying God over and over and over. And eventually God said, I'm done. I'm sending you to your enemies. And so off to Babylon, they went about 600 years before Jesus. They were exiled for 70 years. Then God sent them back, but they weren't a nation officially anymore. They were a vassal nation under Rome or under different countries, eventually becoming Rome in Jesus's day. Okay, so they'd lost a lot of their power, their influence, their freedoms. And they weren't able to do, they weren't doing the sacrificial system anymore as the same as they were in the Old Testament. There were some of that practicing. I'm, I'm not quite sure I have all that right. Okay, point. What had happened while they were in the exile, away from the temple and away from Jerusalem, was this. The religious leaders began to create oral traditions that were basically commentary on the Scripture. Okay? The priest would say, okay, thou shalt not work on the Sabbath was what the scriptures say. They would say, this is what that means to us today, which we would say that sounds like good preaching, okay? And they would explain it, and then they would say, and this is how it applies, and this is how you should flesh it out, which sounds like good preaching to me as long as it lines up with this stuff and doesn't get off track. And what happened over the years is they came up with all these, and I'll use this to describe it, they were around this, they had all these rules that they started to come up with, which were applications for this. And what happened is this became less and less like this in practice, and sometimes just in content. Now, it's the traditions of, we say the traditions of men, because in that day, all the religious leaders just about were, were men. And we would say they're lower than Scripture because this is hallowed and everything else is below that. But what happened over time is as this became more and more common, it became more and more important in the way it was taught and preached and explained. And eventually, it actually sometimes even became higher than the Scriptures themselves. Okay? Some people fault um, the Catholic Church for letting doctrines like this happen because they would say it's Scripture plus tradition, and they would put those as equal. Okay, and, and I would say it's Scripture alone, not that traditions don't have value. Traditions do have value, but not all traditions are they're not at the level of Scripture. But what they were doing was they had elevated it so that it was at or above. So here's what happened practically as a result of this. Um, and, and the way this, this particular one, so this is the example, right? Why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat, okay? In the Old Testament, and you would find this in, in Leviticus, I believe, it was said when the priest's turn came to do their priestly duties, priests take turns doing duties at the temple, they were supposed to wash their hands before they did that. That's the law, the Old Testament law. They took that and extrapolated and said everybody needs to wash before they eat. That way they'll all be clean in God's eyes because if it's good enough for the priest, it should be good enough for all of us. Now, I don't have a problem with your washing your hands, okay? Let's make it clear, all right? There's soap in the bathroom, and we hope you'll avail yourself. But not for spiritual purposes. We just want you to have good hygiene, okay? But they were using it for that, and, and they'd taken it to that point, and it became a law in practice, even though it wasn't a law. And so it became a burden to the people. 
Now, God's word is not meant to be a burden. Jesus says, my burden is light. There is a burden, but it's light. And what they were doing was piling on rule after rule after rule, and Jesus criticizes them in other places in Scripture for doing this. So we know this is a problem. Well, here's an example of how that happened. So Jesus replies to their question about washing hands with a question himself. He did that a lot, didn't he? He loved to ask questions. Jesus replied, verse 3, and why do you, talking to the, we see the Pharisees and teachers along, verse 1, why do you guys break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, right? That's the fifth commandment. Ten commandments, heard of them? Pretty important. For God said, honor your father and mother. And this is also in Exodus. It's in 21 instead of 20. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. All right, this is where you teenagers need to be perking up here. Did you hear that? This is an Old Testament law. But if you cursed your parents, it was worthy of capital punishment, which means... Okay, so I'm just saying God takes it seriously when you talk back to your parents and uh, whether you use curse words or not, it's what's in your heart. So just keep that in mind, just no extra charge for that. Verse 5, but you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father and mother or mother is, quote, devoted to God, they are not to, quote, honor their father and mother with it. What does that mean? Okay, some of yours translations say Corbin, which is defined as... NIV says, devoted to God. What in the world does this mean? It's very simple. There was this tradition of men that was called Corbin, and and what it meant was that you were setting aside and you were saying, when I die, all my money goes to the temple. Totally nothing wrong with that, right? That's, that's okay. Sure, that's great. It's kind of like when someone writes a will and they say, I want to I give some money to the church or in this case, synagogue or whatever your, your favorite um, nonprofit. You, know, you can do that. You can set that up. In the meantime, you can use the money however you want. What was being done, though, by those who would say, I want, some of them would say, I'm going to use Corbin, which means that I'm only going to use the money for me. I'm not going to, it's not free to be used for anyone else. So when my aging parents need some help, I've got an out. Sorry, Dad, Mom, would love to help you, but I've already dedicated it to God, so, you know, you don't want me to, right? That's probably really awkward, probably asking God, God, can I have it back? Yeah. Pretty cheesy. Pretty lame. God's retirement plan is your kids in that day, and I would say today too, by the way. They didn't have Social Security. They didn't have Medicaid and Medicare. They didn't have programs. They had family. Okay? I could go on and on on that sermon. I'm not going to do that other than to say this. I don't care how old you are, honor your parents. And that extends all the way until they go home. All right? And how you treat them and how you speak to them, as adults even, is either honoring or not. And I'll throw in, it's not always easy. Okay, here we go. So Jesus says to them, that's what you're doing with this. You're asking me about washing hands, and you're not honoring your parents, and you're leading others not to honor their parents. So now he's starting to get into these three characteristics, the first of which is um, is, is what we said was um, asking questions that you shouldn't be asking, asking poor religious questions. The second one is going to be, and the third one are going to come right here. Thus, 
This is a conclusion of Jesus and one of the points. You nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. In other words, you elevate this oral tradition above the scriptures, and it's not even scriptural. Even if it was based on scripture, you still wouldn't elevate it above scripture. That's the second one, is taking unscriptural traditions and putting them ahead of scripture. Okay? Now, we don't talk about washing hands at, up here other than when I'm talking about this verse, right? It's not a big deal to us when it comes to spiritual things, but we do have our traditions as Christians, and every denomination has their flavor, but we all have them. Even non-denominational churches, it's kind of like, isn't that a denomination? Non-denominational? No, it's not, but anyway, that's another. But we still have our traditions. We all have our liturgies. We are doing the same things, and we need to make sure that we don't have blind spots based on what we do and why we do it and how we do it. Jesus really challenges them. He comes down on them, calls them out here in verse 7. You hypocrites, okay? Hypocrite is someone who says one thing and is doing another. They're acting like they're something they're not. Well, these are really spiritual guys. At least they're acting like it. You see it? He calls them out. Now, the crowd can't hear that, but they're just out of earshot. So the disciples are there. They hear it. You hypocrites. And then he's going to quote Isaiah 29, which I heard is what the Isaiah class down the hall was doing at 9 o'clock this morning. Very cool how God pulls this together. So obviously you guys will get some extra out of this. He quotes Isaiah 29, 13. He says, Isaiah was right. So Isaiah was a prophet who lived about 700 years before Jesus. Okay? So about 2,700 years ago. And this is what Isaiah wrote, which was him quoting what God would say to the people in Israel, and he's saying it to the people 700 years earlier, and he's saying it to them then, 2,000 years ago, and he's saying it to us today. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Probably heard that before. These people honor me with their lips. In other words, they say the right things, but their hearts are far from me. They're acting like somebody they're not. Verse 9, they worship me in vain. You know what that means? It means it's not doing anything for God, which is the point of worship, right? So they're worshiping, they're wasting their time. Their teachings are merely human rules. Now, if you're a religious teacher, you don't want anybody talking to you like that, especially in front of other people. And yet Jesus is giving it to them. He's looking them in the eye and he's saying, your lips are... Uh, you are people with, un, with uh, you honor God with your lips, but your heart's far from God. Jesus called the crowd to him. Now he's going to spread the word. Hey, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. In other words, it really doesn't matter what you eat. And all the barbecue lovers said, Amen. Right? They worship me. Listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. If you skip down, he'll explain further. Because Peter's going to say in verse 15, explain the parable to us, which is what that was, a one-verse parable. So we'll read verse 16. Jesus replies, are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And he's not talking about the organ. He's talking about the seat of our emotions, our thinking, our choosing, and our beliefs. 
for out of the heart come evil thoughts. And then he's going to describe these, and it's going to be more than things that come out of our mouth. There's going to be things that we do also. And he lists them, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, which is lying, slander, eating, uh, sorry, and slander. It doesn't sound very good. So then we go back up. Verse 12, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, do you realize, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? I just find that funny. He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. This is another metaphor, and it refers to judgment. And if you want some more on that, just turn back one page to chapter 13, verse 24, and you'll see the parable of the weeds we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Talking about judgment. I'll read it again, 13. He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted. Okay, so think back to the seed of the sower. Well, that's probably not exact. He's planting the gospel there. But this is, he's planting the seed of the gospel in the heart of somebody that takes root. Okay, that would be someone that it grows, matures, and bears fruit. That's really the, the result of God working in someone's life to a fruitful extent. Verse 14, leave them that is those that the Father has not planted, leave them, they are blind guides. There's your other metaphor, blind. They don't see the truth. They don't see me. They don't recognize me. They don't know me. They are blind guides. So you see the warning? He's warning the crowd how to find people who are blind spiritually. And he's saying they ask silly religious questions, okay? They put the traditions of, of men above Scripture, and they measure spiritual maturity by what you see on the outside and not what comes from the heart, which would manifest on the outside, right, but is not hypocritical. In other words, if I'm saying one thing, but my heart is really inclined in a different direction, the Lord knows that, even if we get fooled. Explain the parable to us, Peter says. Are you still so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder. Notice he's, he's going through a bunch of the Ten Commandments, right? Honor your parents. That's the fifth. All right. What's the, then he goes, murder. Don't, don't murder. Don't, don't kill people. That's number two. Adultery, sexual immorality, don't commit adultery. That's number three. Don't steal, theft, false testimony, don't lie or slander. So you can see he's working through several of the commandments that have to do with our relationship with other people, right? The first four ten commandments have to deal with our relationship with God. That's vertical. The last six have to do with our relationship with people. It's horizontal. Love God, love people. You see it? Okay. And then he ends with this. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. We all have blind spots, okay? The question is, are we willing to be honest about that? And that affects us in one of two ways. If somebody else has the blind spots and they're influencing us, then I have to make sure that I don't follow that because then it's the blind leading the blind. And I don't want to be following someone that doesn't really know where they're going. They can act confident. They can say things really loudly, but that doesn't mean they're right. So you use this to discern whether what they're saying is worthy to follow and are their words and their actions lining up. 
Are the things coming out of their mouth and the things that they're doing consistent? And are they consistent with what they're saying? And are they consistent with what this says? Well, you can't really assess that unless you read this, right? I mean, I mean I'm mean, i kind of with Casey. It took me a long time to finish reading the Bible. I started it many, many times, right? But at least we started, okay? For some of you this year, starting will be a first, and that'll be a good thing. All right, let me make a suggestion. Don't start at the front, okay? It'll be pretty cool until you get to about chapter 5, and then you start reading genealogies, and you're like, oh, my goodness, why is this here, right? Maybe start with the New Testament. And really, it's just written to be more more explicit, more straightforward, more um, where we can relate to, whereas the Old Testament is much more subtle. Just as true, just as valuable, a lot more to read, to get there, okay? And, and the historical context is harder, okay? But the Bible's hard. It's an ancient document. Of course, it's going to be hard to read. Go read it and then obey the parts you understand. Just start there. You don't have to obey the parts you understand, okay? Ask questions, pray. God, help me understand this and then help me have the courage to act on this when you have a conviction that it's right, okay? But not only do we need to watch out for the blind spots in other people, we need to make sure that we are allowing God to reveal them in our lives. Okay? And that that's takes humility, right? The guy who he didn't like the painting, right, he didn't think it did him justice. Well, if he'd gotten justice, he probably wouldn't have been very happy with that because then he would have seen himself as others see him. But there's somebody who looks at you that sees you as you really are. He sees me as I really am. God sees us very clearly. He knows who we are. He knows where we've been. He knows what we've thought and what we've done that nobody else knows. And yet he still loves us. We sang a song about a good father, right? And we said, and I'm loved by him. It's who I am. That almost doesn't sound right, right? Wait a minute. If, if I'm loved by him, that's not an identity. Oh, but if he calls you beloved then it is, and he loves his people, and he calls you his beloved. He calls you his treasure. He treasures you, and his love for you is not based on your performance. It's not, I'm waiting to love you when the blind spots are gone. He loves you as you are. He just loves you too much to leave you there, and he's going to prompt you and push you and encourage you and lead you towards holiness. Ah, it's a four-letter word. Can't use that in church. Holy, 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 holy. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Holy. You want to be happy? Pursue holiness. Because the consequences of an unholy life will never make you happy for any length of time. Just for a season. And those seasons are cheap and you feel robbed at the end of the day. Okay? It's not be holier than thou. It's not be holy like these Pharisees were, right? Where they were saying the right things and doing something. Their hearts were far from God. God knows your heart and mind. He knows exactly how we feel. He knows that we don't want to read this. Okay? I mean, when we say, I have to discipline myself to read God's word, what does that say? It means I don't treasure this. I don't value this yet. Okay? Well, start where you are. Okay? I don't feel like reading it all the time either. 
And so sometimes discipline has to kick in so that I will, because I know that at the end of the day, this is going to lead me to holier living, which leads me to happier living. Okay? It's what we talk about when we talk about exercising, right? At the beginning of the year, everybody, all the gyms are full for about two weeks. And then after that, it's, everybody quits going again, and it's like, right? Because, but we, we know that if we discipline ourselves and exercise, we're going to be healthier, stronger, more limber, and all the things that go with that, all the benefits. But we don't feel like going to do it, rarely. Funny thing is the only people that really feel like exercising have been exercising for a long time. Right, Casey? Yeah, most of the time. It's a whole lot easier to go run when you've been running for years than it is when it's the first day, generally speaking. Okay? So you need to be able to identify these, pit, these characteristics, right? Make sure that um, you're, you're looking for people that aren't putting Scripture below the tradition and teachings of other people. Make sure that they're not asking questions that don't matter. Right? And make sure that they're, they're recognizing that it's a matter of what, why you do what you do, the motives of your heart, and, and how you really feel about the things that matter, your creator to start with, that, are, that should drive what we do and what we say and how we do it. Right? Imagine a church full of people like that, that, that were able to identify their blind spots and pray and say, God, open my eyes. Help me see my blind spots. This is one of the reasons why we, our church is led by a plurality of elders. That means we have not one person in charge. We have five who are accountable for the leadership of this church. Why is that? Well, one of the reasons is we all have blind spots. And we need each other when we're having the conversations about the things that matter. Okay? And we're not always going to do things the same way. We're not always going to agree. Sometimes somebody's going to think, okay, I think we know what we need to do. Here's what we need to do. And then somebody else says something, and you're like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Blind spot, right? But God has organized it so that, and right, the family, same way. It's not just led by dad or just led by mom. Ideally, mom and dad working together in step with each other, grace and mercy flowing both ways, Paul writes in Ephesians 5.21, mutual submission, okay? That's a thing, right? And when we do that, it's a beautiful thing. And blind spots are, are exposed, right? Another way of getting rid of blind spots is a, is a nice, easy way of saying sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus. Jesus had no blind spots because he listened to the Spirit of God who spoke and revealed it all to him. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you right now to reveal the blind spots in our lives to us for the purpose of being able to confess them, agree with you that that's what it is, and repent of it, which is an active decision to say, no more, I am re- I'm forsaking that, and I'm turning back to the Lord in that area of my life. Lord, we need you to show us the people that are influencing us in our lives who are blind. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe it's a coworker, somebody on TV or online that's teaching us things that are not on point. 
and we're lacking discernment. Lord, we need your discernment. Open our eyes to what's happening inside us and what's happening around us so that we might have the ability to correct, humbly correct the things that are in our lives that are got us off track. In some cases, we have control. In some cases, we need you. Where really, we need you either way. But Lord, it doesn't mean it doesn't take effort on our part. Sanctification requires us to put forth effort. We have to do stuff. And we have to stop doing other stuff, other things that are keeping us from seeing clearly. For letting the full light of Jesus flood our hearts, exposing the dark corners of our hearts where there's evil thoughts that lead to sins like murder and theft and uh, lying and adultery and sexual immorality and pornography and uh, mis- just coveting and all the other things that we find in, that are just not holy, evil thoughts. Lord, we all need you to expose the evil thoughts in our hearts today. And we need the courage to repent of them and to turn back to you or turn to you for the first time and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I don't need justice. I need your mercy. Well, Lord, I thank you for the cross where we saw justice and mercy intersect, where you justly punished the sin of the world, and because Jesus was willing to be that perfect substitute for me, you were able to then give me the mercy of God instead of the justice I deserve. Help us to realize that we're all in that boat. We're all in that boat. And that apart from your mercy, we can't see. Open our eyes. Pull back the scales. Activate our heart. Open the eyes of our heart that we might see you clearly and respond to you appropriately. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.